0: Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay is back in a wild card spot, so it's a positive show today. That's the only uh, that's the only way we're determining it now. Jay's in a good spot, good show. Jay's in a bad spot, bad show. In seriousness, yesterday was about the most encouraging Jay's game you can get right now. 6-1 victory over the San Francisco Giants. They get to Logan Webb early. Get to him for five runs in the first inning. Logan Webb had not allowed five runs in a game yet this year. He only did it once all of last year. They got to him early. And they got to him in a way that you like to see right now from a Blue Jays team. A team that was has really struggled to hit with runners in scoring position. They go six for 13 with runners in scoring position last night. Including six hits in that first inning. Everybody eats all nine Blue Jays had hits in this one, six different players batted in a run. It was about as balanced an attack as you can imagine. And to do that against a guy like Logan Webb is pretty hard. The Jays actually, you know, there's, there's maybe a little bit of good fortune in this as well. And they were due a little bit of that with runners in scoring position. They didn't hit the ball particularly hard off of Logan Webb. They didn't have a home run in the game they had four doubles and they were all soft off the bat by the standards of extra base hits. But Logan Webb as a sinker artist and a change up low in the zone artist has by far the highest ground ball rate among any starting pitcher in baseball. And the Jays pretty clearly had an approach to stay on that sinker and do what they could to get lift on it. Even if that meant not driving balls quite as much as we're used to seeing from this group. So trade in a little bit of the hard contact to be able to get some lift on that sinker, a lot of dink and dunk into the corners of the outfield or the shallow parts of the outfield and the Jays tally up six runs, five of them in the first on the other side, Trevor Richards, once again, unbelievable in the extended opener role goes three innings only needs 40 pitches to get through them of those 40 pitches, 13 were swinging strikes that included 10 in the first inning, which ties a major league season high for most swing and misses in a single inning from a pitcher. It's Hunter Green territory. Richards strikes out five over those three innings. He's now up to fifth in Major League Baseball in strikeout percentage, and that includes relievers, not not just starters. He's also up to second all-time in Blue Jays' strikeout percentage. So uh, some bigger numbers to watch there with Trevor Richards. And you might be... I mean, you'd be impressed with the high strikeout rate regardless, but if he's doing one inning at a time as a reliever, that's one thing, but being able to give two, three, sometimes even four innings at a time as a starter and still maintain that strikeout rate has been very impressive. Also, potentially a trickle down benefit for this Red Sox series coming up is that Richard's only through 40 pitches, so I think he's on the table. In leverage in that Boston series, you don't figure to need him until some point in the White Sox or Detroit series as an opener. Uh, You have to probably use a bullpen day once more before the all-star break, but you don't need that this weekend against Boston. So, only 40 pitches. He's back in the mix as as a middle reliever, even a leverage reliever this weekend. Bowden Francis follows him up. Four innings, also very efficient. They only threw 47 pitches. So between the two of them, seven innings on just 87 pitches. That's heading for Maddox territory almost. Now, Bowden Francis was not quite as crisp. He gave up a home run. He gave up a pretty loud double. That fastball continues to be a pitch that, while he obviously leans on a lot and the velocity is nice, guys can get to it and put a charge into it. The curveball and slider, though, can't do much with it. Neither of them has allowed an extra base hit. Yet this year, uh, the curveball was particularly effective yesterday. And look, honestly, anytime a rookie can give you four innings of bulk relief, you're very, very happy with that. However, the specifics, uh, Trent Thornton gives them an inning. Jimmy Garcia gets that wonky knee back on the mound and gives them a clean one to wrap it out. Not really any nits to pick through that game. Now, this is the dumb math guy's favorite day of the year. The Jays have played 81 games. It is the exact halfway point of the season. You can look at every single stat and double it and be like, that's what the Jays are on pace for. So the Jays in the major league baseball standings have 44 wins times two. JD Bunkus beside me now can help us out with that. I think that's 88. 88. There you go. Oh, you'd be to it. I just trying See, to make sure. A, just have the, me the check only my one math.
1: that I could ever get. And you had to step on it. No, we could, do this all, we could do this all day. This is the
0: segment. Yeah. Is I'm just going to read you stats and you times them by two. Jack's off me, in here? How many, I am. It was yes, warm in here when yes, I got in. That's nice. yeah, a cool shirt. Yeah. Thanks, man. You too. Um, so there are no nits to pick from last night. There are some nits mm. to pick with the Blue Jays at the halfway mark in general. We will get into some more of the specifics um, from last night's game. Madison Shipman will join us a little bit later. We got Chris Rose and Kevin Barker on the show uh, today as well. Mm. But right now, with JD Bunkus of the JD Bunkus podcast here at Sportscent, you can check that out every day nine to ten, and download it wherever you get your podcasts. We're doing a little midseason check in. Sweet. Now, coming off of a really good game, maybe the tone here will be a little bit of a an odd one, but it hasn't been the best of half seasons. Not terrible. Again, they've won forty four games. They're in a wild card spot right now, but we figured that you'd probably need to win ninety one or ninety two to make a playoff spot in this American league with the Yankees and Orioles, as good as they are, the American league West better than maybe anticipated. Um, before we get into some of what we're going to do with just some second half props and over unders and things like that, not official ones, just ones I made up
1: um, um, the best kind.
0: How are you feeling about where the Jays are at the halfway mark? Generally.
1: Okay. I, I'm going to end up flipping a question back to you. Cause I was kind of musing with this on my show today, which is so yeah, Atkins does his mid season media availability. And he's mostly rosy, right? He's going, feel good about where we are. And yeah, we'd like to be competing for the American League Championship or the, sorry, the AL East title. But we like where we are and we think that there's room for improvement and yada, 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 right? The overall tone of it is, everything's fine. Everybody relax. And I sat back and I listened to that and I'm frustrated watching it to a certain degree. And I'm at the ballpark on Tuesday for not yesterday's game. You know, I would have much preferred to be there for yesterday when they scored a bunch of runs. Yeah, you got the nice one for 12 runners in scoring position game. But, yeah, this is a market that historically, and I know now it's so different because there's six playoff spots, right? So measuring yourself as a wildcard team doesn't feel the same as it used to, right? When we used to say the whole, just give me meaningful fall baseball. Well, you also get
0: a, you used to get an actual series just for making a wildcard spot.
1: So... I understand that the the league has shifted, but I'm I'm frustrated. I know that you're frustrated. I know a lot of fans are frustrated, but the team is seven games above 500. And like, they do have some pretty positive stats. They have had good years from Kikuchi and Barrios who are two of their biggest question marks. It looks like the Brandon belt signing is a hit, right? Like mm-hmm. he's a pretty competent player for the salary that he's making. The outfield defense has improved. Bo Bichette is a legitimate superstar. Kevin Gossman is a legitimate ace. Yeah, they've had some really disappointing results from Anoa, and he's down in the complex, getting just completely lit up by 17-year-olds. But I have been told by people I texted that that's not as bad as it seems on paper, which I went, good, because on paper, it seems like his career is over. So, yeah, good. I'm glad. But what do you think it is that has the fan base right now feeling the way that they do, like where it, it doesn't feel seven games above 500 at all. It doesn't feel like any of those positive things I mentioned are even really in the mix or discussion. Even when you bring them up, I, I, I bet you there are people listening to me do that going, give me a break, JD. You know you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's the tenor. I was just in the outfield on Tuesday and it was a boozy hot dog eating <laughs> crowd. And they weren't like... Uh, the burps in the, the uh, boozy
0: hot dog, loony dog part of the crowd. Uh.
1: You know what's funny is a lot of people go and get a ton of the dogs and they were just shopping them around, Goes, does anyone want a hot dog? It's like a fake nice person move where you're mm. like, hey, does anyone want one of these dollars? And you're like, no, I would have gotten one, but thank you, because they yeah. get the box at one time. Anyway, I just... I am curious why it feels this... like this way.
0: Okay, so I think there are three elements to this. Yeah, The first is that However well you perform, when the players that you expected entering the season to be your best hitter and your best pitcher have both significantly underperformed, it's hard to get past that. 100%. You, I, I'm sure Ross Atkins would spin it as a positive. Oh, my God. We're seven games over 500. Manoa's down in the complex it's league. Ready. Vlad hasn't been anywhere near the Vlad. Imagine if those things mm-hmm. click. As a, At a fan level, though, like everyone's confidence in this team is way higher with... Vladimir Guerrero Jr. looking like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of 2021. There's no like look at how quickly the excitement around Vlad picked up on the weekend. And now it's cooled back off. But, you know, he homers in two straight games and it's like, oh, this is what it could look like. So I think that's an element of it, because even though you've survived that well, you still right now, you don't have Vlad at MVP level and you don't have Noah at all. Second one is I think. Last year's wild card series is fresh in everyone's minds still Mm. where they had a really good season. They made a wild card spot. They had home field. They were on paper much better than the Seattle Mariners. Weird stuff happens over two games. Making the wild card and having a best two of three chance at a real playoff series Mm -hmm. does not feel very good. And it's not where the bar was entering the season. And then I think the third one is, and I don't know that this is like uh Conscious thing. This is maybe a two point five because I don't know that everyone's thinking about this, but you can lay out all the positives and you can say there are seven games above or there, yeah, there are seven games above five hundred with this from Vlad and with this from Manoa. They have also been the healthiest team in all of baseball. Mm -hmm. So to me, there's a little bit of uh, yes, things have gone absolutely better than you could have expected given the Manoa situation and Richards filling in and things like that. Barrios and Kikuchi being better. But if like one more thing happens, they toast. This could be a, a house of cards. Like imagine you Boba Shed has never been injured. Imagine he hit the aisle for oh, a little bit, how no. the top of the order looks and, yeah, one pitcher misses even one start, right? Like yeah. like you're you're heading into that six game stretch before the all-star break, and it's the White Sox and the Tigers, so you probably survive, but like you gotta do two bullpen days Mm-mm. during that stretch or something like that. So I think I think that's a part of it too, is they've survived this, but like they've been in triage mode for like three, four weeks now because of the Manoa stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wonder if fans, whether consciously or not, feel like how they've hung in there is a bit tenuous, even though offensively things are starting to turn around.
1: So I mentioned two of those things. Okay. I think you're right about the wildcard stuff, is the way they lost was so frustrating and embarrassing that you don't let go of that right away, right? Like, you're a little scarred now. The other one I mentioned is I do think that a year ago even, two years ago even, when they had the semi-in team, there was a really strong belief that not only were the Jays good – not only were the Jays a competitive team, but they had a farm system that was in as good a shape as we'd ever seen the two paired together. Mm-hmm. On-field team, farm system. The, it, what, was, what was their saying they would go waves? Waves, waves of waves. pitching. Waves of pitching. We have waves of pitching. There's waves this of This is the wave yeah, for the they, pitching they, this year. <laughs> no, they waved goodbye yeah. to every single one of their prospects and did all these moves. And so, to me, it's more that the team feels all in right now and yet they have what you're talking about, which is, well, you're one injury away from desperation. You're one injury away from... Bowden France is actually like an important guy now. He's not just a, a spot starter. He's one of the guys in the rotation, if you get one more of these. Mm-hmm. And yeah, God forbid it ends up being someone that's extremely important, like a Gossman, right? Like, oof, th- th- those ideas are just nightmarish. But the, the other one to me is... Like, that makes sense, right? When you're not as good as you expect to be, fans get frustrated. And when the thing around the corner isn't more optimism coming, help is on the way, it's, boy, you could be in real trouble if something happens. That's big. I don't know why, but Manoa, it doesn't feel as desperate or as big as Vlad. And maybe this is the everyday player thing. This is why when uh, I would try to make the case of, hey, is Manoa one of the faces of the franchise or is he the face? And people go, no, it's still Vladdy. And I went, oh, but Manoa is so good. Now it feels like, no, no, no. Vladdy is the face of the franchise because how big of a part of this is people's belief that the MVP Vladdy that we saw a couple of years ago is a real thing? Because I feel like a huge part of the frustration is every time he hits into a double play, he's still leading the league in him?
0: Uh, he's up there. I don't, I don't know if it's number yeah, one. I haven't he, looked I mean, recently, but... He's
1: good at it. <laughs> he's been really good at it the last couple of seasons. Every time he hits into a double play, it's the reminder that you feel when he comes up in a big spot like he's going to hit a ground ball than you do that he's going to put it over the fence. That to me is where the real fear is kicking in that people bought in on this guy is going to be generational. This guy is going to be special. This guy is a one of a kind and people are starting to see more and more evidence that he might just be a really good baseball player and that's it.
0: And the other part of it too is that I mean, no one wants to replace Manoa. He's a huge part of this team, and you would prefer to have him in the rotation. But, like, Ross Atkins even paid lip service yesterday to, yeah, we could go out and get another pitcher. Yeah. You can't go out and get
1: another Vlad. Yeah, there's volatility to starting pitchers. You know, this this happens. Yeah, and
0: Manoa also, and this isn't the, the biggest thing, but, like, he also makes the minimum. Like, in terms of the team being able to go out and, and address that spot, it's not like Vlad is entrenched and he's going to hit in the middle of the lineup every single day. It's if you have this version of Vlad, there's no way around it where at least Manoa, there's a a path to, you know, replacing that spot. So let's stay on Vlad then, because you mentioned 2021 Vlad. And if you go back to that season and I will give the same caveat, I have to give every time because people don't listen. Something like weighted runs created plus tries to put everyone on the same scale, adjusts for a number of things, including park factors. Mm-hmm. So this is not a number that would be, it might be a little inflated because we just, we don't know how to capture Dunedin and Buffalo and stuff like that, mm. but it tries its best to capture this you know, stuff. You're
1: only talking to your fellow stat nerds right now, right? Like that want the full content. That's, that's the audience. I was going to say, because no, the audience is big. You do big numbers on the show, buddy. I've seen the podcast, ratings. Right don't, I don't see them. Oh, it's good. It's Pastel's very good. That's my
0: way. Um, yeah. Okay, so the first half of 2021, and some of this is caked into where they played, sure, but we try to adjust for that. His weighted runs created plus was 187. That's so good. So 87% better than an average hitter. Mm-hmm. The second half, it dropped to 142. Mm-hmm. Still really, really good, but not quite at that same level. Last year for the season... It was 132. Okay. Right now, it's down to 122. Mm. I don't like the way this is going. The trend? Yeah. Yeah, bad. 142, 132, 122. I don't know a
1: lot about graphs like you, but I know that in the graph, it would be going like that. Yeah.
0: You, you look at your stocks. Yeah, it's, it's like a, that.
1: Down is bad. <laughs> exactly.
0: So, uh, the first of our second half fake props here. Okay. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So, it was 142 second half of 2021, 132 last year, 122 so far this year. His weighted runs created plus for the rest of the season over under
1: 130. I have to go over just because he's 122 with two home runs at home.
0: 11 home runs. So he's on pace for 22 home runs.
1: Yeah. So I I have to think he hits more than 22 home runs. And I'm guessing that in this calculation, home runs are pretty heavily weighted as they are quite important.
0: Yes. So weighted runs created plus take, I mean, it tries it gets down to it's called linear yep. weights which is like what is the value of every single right. thing
1: in the offensive environment and things like that home runs are big home runs are big i don't think he's going to hit 22 home runs i think he's going to hit more than 22 home runs and so i think that he'll make up the difference on that here's what i will say the counter to this is though it's not that big of a leap it doesn't sound like statistically for going from 122 to 130 like how so
0: it, uh, is- i'll tell you this zips which is fangraph's projection yeah. system projects him for 136 the rest of the way. Okay. Uh that would be an OPS just north of 850.
1: I think he can do that. Okay. I think I think that he's going to do that. I think he can do that. What I will say though that spooks me a little is that it's like OPS 850 Vlad, like I thought that was going to be pretty much a given throughout his entire career. Like it gets back to the same thing where I say this guy is a good baseball player. We all acknowledge that. He's he's fine. He's more than fine. Here was my reaction when I saw that he was up for the starting first baseman in the American League this week. I went, ha, who else is out there?
0: I went through the history of all-star first basemen who have hit fewer than 20 home runs. It's not pretty. No. Other I, than, like, the one time Joey Votto did it. I, I just I couldn't even... He had, like, even, like a uh, 700
1: OBP or something like that. I know he's got the big name, but... I went, okay, there's just no way that people around baseball could be talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in a positive light, right? Are people just checking that box because they see the name and they make the assumption? like He's also very popular. Yeah, okay, that's sure. A, that's an element of It does of feel like he's losing his popularity a tiny bit in the city, right? Like, you see a lot of people in the jerseys. You see a lot of people who get excited when he comes up to the plate, but the groans are pretty loud in the stadium, as you've heard now, when he doesn't come through in those big spots. Um, so, yeah, I'll take the over because, man, I, I don't want to – I don't want to live in a world where he hits 22 home runs in a season and he stays on pace with these numbers and, yeah, doesn't improve even slightly. Like, I, that that's terrifying to me.
0: It is. All right, let's go more positive then. Okay. Another guy who's one of I those. I was
1: positive. I, set up. I took
0: over. Oh, I know, but like yeah. um, even more positive conversation. Yeah, but even when than- I'm
1: positive, I'm negative. Y- I get it. I get yeah, it.
0: Um, yeah, and I set the bar fairly low there, so yeah. that, that's a little yeah. on me. Someone else who's in that <laughs> MVP conversation. By the way, you only have until noon today to vote, so if you are trying to vote for your Blue Jays uh, all-star starters, uh, do that right now. Don't turn off the radio, but uh, fire up your phone Go vote for and Vladdy. Vote. Go vote. He deserves it for Bo Bichette. Corey yeah. Seager is his head-to-head finalist in the American League shortstop ballot. Mm-hmm. Corey Seager has had a tremendous season. Bo Bichette has played almost twice as many games. Bo Bichette leads the league mm-hmm. in games played, at bats, mm-hmm. hits, and in the American League uh, batting average. He is, and again, the quick math because it's the halfway point of the season. Yep. He has 110 hits so far. That's good. What's that on pace for? 220. You know what that would be? A Toronto Blue Jays
1: franchise record. Yeah, that's pretty good. Vernon Wells. Dude, don't do any more of those, though. <laughs> I got a little the, bit. The math? You know, I was like... <sighs> it's a round number. I'm not going to give you like, one. I like, should put the headphones on so no, could buzz me I'm not going to give you me. like 37 yeah. or something like <laughs> Next, that. You're going to keep upping the, the degree of difficulty yeah. on these, and eventually it's going to get real <laughs> ugly for me. So,
0: obviously, Bo maintaining. Anyone yeah. maintaining, hey, I'm leading the league in plate appearances and batting average, like you miss a couple games or you have a, a small cold stretch. Those will maybe mm-hmm. cool off, but this is pretty incredible. So he is on Vernon Wells in 2003 mm-hmm. had 215 hits. That is the franchise record. Vernon Wells underrated. Yeah. He had three seventeen that year. Yeah. And was like, he was the silver slugger. And then an also he actually didn't win the gold glove that year. It was the the next year. He won the gold glove, but he led the league in doubles too. No, yes. Like, anyway, yeah. 215 is the franchise record for hits. Boba is on pace for 220. Okay. So, over-under,
1: 215.5 hits. Does he break the record? He got so hot at the end of last year. What are, is, is that a bow trend for him to finish year strong? Because the Blue Jays, I will say this, is the semi year, they got hot down the stretch as well. I was actually thinking about that the other day, the Semien throw against the Tigers game that basically cost him the playoffs, even though he was so brilliant, how difficult that was. He was, in
0: 2021, he was almost identical first half to second half.
1: Now, you could argue that
0: you know stadium wise and things like that it got tougher in the second half so even maintaining yep. was impressive but he he didn't really have a he didn't really have a switch there
1: i am going to double down on my positivity cuz i'm such a positive guy and everybody is this says guy? that all the time they're always like look at this positive beacon of light str- uh, shining through <laughs> here i'll just say over because as inconsistent it, it's weird cuz he's like inconsistently consistent or consistently inconsistent or whatever way you want to put it. But this year it just feels like he's unlocked a little bit more this year. It just feels like the dips don't go as low as they have in years past. And granted again, if he's leading baseball and hits that seems kind of like an obvious take to me, but I don't know. I just think that he's maturing a little bit at the plate. I think that he's kind of the guy too, where when we do the face of the franchise discussions, he is sort of that dude where it just doesn't seem like things phase him. Doesn't feel like he gets rattled. Even look at last year, like his year was horrific. It really was up until the last month and a half of the season when he just caught fire. Never really felt like he changed. Just kind of went about his business. Doesn't seem rattled by anything. Just sort of goes about and quiet. Hits Thirteen game hit streak. That's what I mean. I just, I'll take the over two fifteen and a half because I, I just think that he might. Like, he he's just having, he's having himself a year, man. The approach looks brilliant. I, I don't think that there's as much ebb and flow to his game as years past. He's just confident. He's a player who's hitting his prime. Like, unless there's an injury, which also I'm not a really big believer in with him because he's durable as hell. It's wild. He's durable, right? So, I'm going to say over. Like, I'll say that he actually does it. And then hopefully when he does break Vernon Wells' record, there's a little bit of a discussion amongst Jays fans where we go... You know, maybe he's a little too hard on that guy, like just because he was the big money signing. Maybe people were a little bit too harsh to Vernon Wells. He's a good, he was a good player here.
0: All right, another positive one. Yep, Kevin Gosman. Kevin Gosman last year struck out two hundred five batters. Uh-huh. It's the seventh highest strikeout total in Blue Jays franchise history. Okay. Uh, we have to do pace a little bit different with pitchers, just because yeah. you know turning the rotation and things like that. But right now he leads the league in a ho- with one hundred thirty nine strikeouts. Strictly on double it, it would be two seventy eight. That would be shy of only Roger Clemens' 1997 season for strikeouts in Blue Jays franchise history. And keep in mind, guys only throw like 200 innings now, not 250 and things like that. So where I'm going to put the bar for this is, again, Gosman's at 139 already. Robbie Ray struck out 248 Mm -hmm. in 2021. That's the third highest ever. Clemens has the two highest. Kevin Gosman over under Robbie Ray's 248.
1: In 2021. This is one where I feel like I should be flipping it back to you because you'd actually be able to do more of the actual measurables on this. Cause like, yeah, I test wise, he passes the grade. I would say the scary thing in terms of trying to surpass that number is as, as much as Gosman is an ace and as brilliant as like Tuesday was, he does seem prone to those outings where teams are picking up on what he's throwing.
0: Although I did think this outing was actually really encouraging yeah. With re- regard to that, because he dominated with the fastball. That yeah, was a did. team who knows him super well and helped him learn that splitter and hone that splitter. And he was like, okay, I know what you're waiting for, and I'm going to steal 11 called strikes with my fastball.
1: Yeah, and she's cooking up to, like, 97.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... On a strikeouts per start basis, I'm going to ding him. for. I don't think he's going to start 34 games. He started 17 so far, even with the all-star break. The numbers are too strong in favor of he's even better with an extra day of rest. I think this would be the third season in a row. He's like right near the top and games started. Um, but my Plus little more
1: important now, given where Manoa is at in terms of keeping him healthy come yeah. playoff time.
0: And even with that, my little quick calculation has him
1: beating Robbie Ray. Hmm. So then, fine, I'll take the over. I'll trust the nerd. Trust the nerd. (laughs) Trust the nerd numbers on this one. Yeah, God, I just, he seems, he's a durable guy too, right? Like another guy who's been a horse. So, fine, I'll ride you. So, we're on three overs? Yes. All right, I'm going to zag on this one. Okay, here's uh, here's the unlucky sucker who's going to get this, because I'm going to hammer the
0: under. Ricky Tiedemann over under 0.5 major league appearances.
1: Oh, this one's so much harder because it's like, well, you, wanted a,
0: you wanted a potential under. You wanted him to be tougher.
1: Yeah. I got it. Uh, this is such a weird one because he's so important to the franchise to, like, make sure he's healthy. And yet they are in this all-in year where it doesn't seem like there and, are a and lot he's of...
0: he's only progressed to doing live BP.
1: Right. That's no, all no, he's done so far. But it's not even just that. It's like he's got an injury history. The difficulty of keeping him healthy is so big, but also the expectations for him were so sky high, and now they feel like they're just like leveling out a little bit because of those injuries. You might also be thinking though, and this is the Ennis theory, like if you have an injury prone guy who throws that hard, don't you just use the the bullets in the majors right away? Over, all right. Over. I just, right. I'm. If you have him, and he gives you, because what does he have to give you? A month of being healthy, and then you get, yeah. you know, a month. Like I would eyeball, like, okay, September call up for bullpen help That's or something like that. It
0: helps you manage his innings, and he helps the major league.
1: And, and you don't want to take a look. You're not playing, let's say, the Royals or the Tigers somewhere in there. What's the, the, the September schedule? There's a weak team. Yeah, you call him up. You want to just have a little peek. You want to have a little look. I just one game, yes. Okay, five. Under like, I think he pitches in a couple of games, maybe in September, but I don't want to take the under because again, this is a world. I don't want to live in the reality where there's nothing fun in September other than the grind for this last wildcard spot to potentially play the angels.
0: Here's one for you. Yep. Uh, Alec Manoa returns to the major leagues before or after rosters expand in September.
1: I mean, right now, how are you supposed to take anything other than the under? I don't know, Ross Atkins talking
0: yesterday like
1: it's uh, it's a sure
0: thing he'll be back.
1: Yeah, no, sure thing that he'll be back in the majors, yes. But this is my question with Manoa. So they say those numbers don't matter as much. It's a lot more process, right? But if your process also results in 17-year-olds, you know, Putting up multiple home runs. Also, against.
0: John Schneider led a, a like he gave us a little bit of his conversations with Manoa from from yesterday when we were down there pregame, mm-hmm. and it was like, yeah, this was good, this was good, this was good, and something that just kind of slid in there was like, yeah, he wasn't really happy with the slider. We weren't really happy with the yeah, slider. The it's like, like uh, yeah, that's yeah. the most important pitch. That's why had I, had w- Eno Sarason on from the Athletic yesterday, the guy who does stuff plus and pitching yeah. plus and all that stuff. He's like, I yeah, know. the slider has been on like a year and a half decline now. It's
1: like, okay, mm-hmm. well, if that's the thing that's not working, that is probably the most concerning thing to me. So I'm going to take the under because I would have to think that you can't rush him whatsoever. Right. Like what? So same thing with Tiedemann. What do you need to see for how long before you let him see major league hitters again? Because if you bring him back up here and he can't find the strike zone again, he's done for the year at least. But that's what I mean. All of a sudden you're, you have no option. I almost would want to think that you bring him back in September just because the runway is so short. You're going, hey, you're only going to get a couple of starts. So even if they're not really working out, we'll have a little bit of a sample of something. And we don't have
0: to put you on the playoff roster. Yeah, but
1: that's it. Now, like you're – you're at this point, he should almost be viewed as this guy's going to be a bonus coming back this year, not a set thing. Yeah. So – I think yeah, you
0: have to put him in the class with Ryu and Chad Green where it's like you yeah. cannot – you can't plan as if that's going to happen no. for sure. But if it's a bonus, awesome.
1: No. And I would also think that – The other thing working in your favor here for the under is that the Jays have to add a starting pitcher at some point. Like, I don't know how they're going to end up doing it, but they need more depth at that position heading into the deadline. And so maybe they do that a little bit earlier and it buys them some more time. But no, I don't think Manoa's here before September. Like, I think that's probably what you're going to see. A month, a month of Alec Manoa.
0: All right. You going to the
1: game on Canada? Day? No, because I have to do uh, potentially Leafs Leafs talk. Yes, Easton. No, Easting I'm trapped, Cowan. Let's I'm trapped go. inside on Canada Day for the first time. Buddy, it-
0: it's the open of NBA free agency every year. I haven't enjoyed a Canada Day in a decade. I got a
1: 700-page yeah. collective bargaining agreement to read. Oh, my God. CJ McCollum took it on the chin, huh? A lot of people coming after old CJ. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
0: there is some stuff in the nitty-gritty of it that is player positive, And if the cap rises like they think, it won't really matter that much. But, yeah, right. co- I do know.
1: So far, it seems like NBA put a hard cap in, and CJ might have been a part of that. Yeah. I mean,
0: so – we'll discuss this yeah. on your so the players still get the same amount of money it's just yeah. the it, like a hard cap would just shift where the money goes because of the escrow system and stuff like yeah. that that nobody wants to hear about on a baseball show uh we so had we'll so talk much about escrow talk time.
1: with hockey fans over yeah. the last you know five years that people just they, yeah. they hear that word and they're like please god no nothing. yes
0: uh all right <laughs> we'll do that another time on a okay what's worse than podcast only what's like a we, we'll leak it internally only a, a conversation yeah, it's we'll have called
1: about, the text messages that yeah. we have our phone calls that we have between just the phone two of calls. Us. That's what it's yeah. called. A podcast yeah. that no one hears a is a phone, phone call. call. There's nothing worse though. Sometimes is doing this business than when you have a really good phone call. Like if you and I have a really good phone call, we're chatting about stuff, and then you wish it hadn't been you're on. Like, damn it, we should have just podcasted <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, all right, JD Bunkus of the JD Bunkus podcast. Thanks like, so much, perfect.
0: man. Thanks. I man. appreciate it. Uh, JD Bunkus of the JD Bunkus podcast. Download that wherever you get your podcasts, and it's nine to ten a.m every weekday. We're going to take a break. Uh, you can send your texts in for the second half of the show, 590-590. Uh, but next, we're going to talk to Chris Rose of Baseball Today with Chris Rose and of a movie that I think is criminally underrated, Mr. 3000. We'll see if Chris Rose agrees. Next, on J's Talk Plus on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360
2: discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe
1: and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to stock Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jays win last night, 6-1, even up this series against the Giants. Tonight, it's going to be Chris Bassett no longer calling his own pitches. Perhaps having them called by Alejandro Kirk coming off the IL. We'll see. That was the plan as of yesterday. And Chris Bassett will be opposite Keaton Wynn. The San Francisco Giants ditching the opener idea for today and not going with a bullpen day. Keaton Wynn, who's been working a bulk roll out of the pen for them, will make his... First major league start. We'll tee that one up in the second half. We'll talk a little bit more about the Jays actually hitting with runners in scoring position last night. Also last night, if you were up late, was a little bit of a moment in New York Yankees baseball. Uh, Couldn't happen to a worse guy uh, in Domingo Herman. He throws a perfect game. Joining us now to talk about that and Alec Manoa and a few other things of baseball today with Chris Rose and Trevor Plouffe. Also, the Chris Rose Rotation Podcast at John Boy Media. It's Chris Rose. Chris, how are you, man?
2: Good morning, Blake. How are you?
0: I am excellent. Um, maybe, you know, you're out here. You've got Tyler Glasnow on a show, mixing in all these MLB co-hosts. Um, how has that been? How was the Glasnow episode? It looked from the teasers like it'll be a fun one.
2: It is a fun one, so it's available. Uh, the thing that made it fun for me in particular is that I've now been doing the Rose rotation for three years. So I have a half dozen active major leaguers as my rotating co-hosts. I had never met Glass now in person until that one that we did. Um, it was kind of a funny setting. We had a, uh, a hotel room where he's on one queen bed, I'm on another, <laughs> we throw in some headsets. Nice, relaxed atmosphere. Um, so it was just nice to be able to kind of meet him in person and and do, a, uh, do an episode that way.
0: Now, you have done those episodes with a, a, a whole bunch of Major League players now over the course of three years. Do any of them top... Bernie Mac as Stan Ross, as far as player interviews go?
2: They do not. <laughs> um, you know, you'll be happy to know I still get uh, plentiful um, residual checks for that. <laughs> I think my last residual check was for 87 cents for an appearance in that movie. But man, it was worth it.
0: I think it's criminally underrated. It's one of my favorite sports movies, and just a tour de force from uh, from Birdie Mack. So uh, cool that you got to be be a part of that one. Um, cool what you guys are doing now, and I'm loving baseball today with, with you and Trevor Plouffe. Um, you guys had a great Manoa discussion earlier this week that that I'd love to to pick at a little bit more. Um, we said. You know, around these parts, there are a lot of caveats of like, well, you can't, you can't put too much stock into performance against a, an FCL team and things like that. But we're celebrating Domingo Herman's perfect game against the A's. So what's the difference? Really? They're both minor league teams.
2: <laughs> now, now don't do
0: that. Uh, in, um, in seriousness, okay. <laughs> in seriousness, though, um, You know, you you and Trevor, I know, had both picked Manoa to win the Cy Young before the season. Um, Trevor seemed very not alarmed after that conversation that that you and Trevor had. um, Do you feel a little more confident in the Manoa situation? Are are you still pretty alarmed by it?
2: Well, I think Trevor's point was we don't know, you know, what was going on. He made the point that maybe they just said, "Hey, all you're doing is working on locating your fastball." We don't know if that was yeah we don't know if he was allowed to throw his breaking stuff we don't so the less we know about it means that it's hard to judge exactly what's happening uh i did bring up the point during that conversation that there's a possibility he might not pitch at the big league level again this year i think that's a real possibility for him i think that they try and maybe you know it could take months to kind of unravel what's going on here. And and everybody thinks they know the answer, right? They think that it's his physique, you know, that he can't deal with the weight loss, with the the pitch clock. And so his weight situation has something to do with it. I don't know if it does or doesn't. Um, A lot of people are just getting on his peripherals and saying that he's lost velocity and that his movement isn't nearly as good as it was when he first came up. Possible. That's why he is going down there to figure it out. I hope he does. Um, I know he's not for everybody in baseball. Uh, I know that Alex Verdugo is probably (laughs) smiling somewhere based on what's happening with him. I like him. You know, I've only talked to him once for Rose rotation, but I found him to be engaging. Uh, I don't think he's mean-spirited. I think he's really competitive. I think it's okay that there's a little bit of back and forth between. You know, Ploof said that sort of stuff happens all the time that just because you see it or hear somebody voice a concern about Alec Manoa doesn't mean he's the only one on the field doing that. He says that happens all the time, Um, that sometimes the media just picks and chooses who gets publicized for it. So I want to see him back. I want to see him pitch well. I'm rooting for him. I'm just not so sure that'll happen this year.
0: Well, Ross Atkins spoke yesterday, and he was fairly adamant that, that that's the plan, that we'll see him back at the major league level at some point this year, I am with you. I, I, you know, need to see a little bit more, like here's some more positive reports. Even yesterday, John Schneider spoke with us pregame and said, yeah, th- you know, this was working, this was working, but the slider still wasn't. And, and, you know, that's, that kind of crops up another red flag here. Uh, someone else who spoke yesterday. Uh, and I know you were, you were not, uh, you didn't think this was a good idea. Steve Cohen, owner of the Mets speaks yesterday. What did you make of his press conference and the messaging there beyond just the, Hey, I'm an owner. I'm just going to call my own press conference to unload at the halfway mark.
2: Well, I want to make this clear. I I like it when owners do speak. Um, I have said this during the whole John Fisher Oakland A's fiasco that owners should be required to speak at the beginning and at least at the beginning and end of every season. Um, I think when you own a company that so many people pour their emotions into, um, that you owe it to fan bases to, to know where ownership stands and to answer some questions about how you go about your business and what you'd like to see improve and what makes you excited about the team and what challenges are ahead. Um, I didn't have a problem with Steve Cohen calling the press conference. I was just saying to myself, like, what are we going to hear today that's going to help the team moving forward? And I didn't hear one thing. And to no fault of his, what's he supposed to say? I thought he handled it great. But at the end of the day, like, I don't think Mets fans shouldn't have expected to hear, oh, by the way, I'm getting rid of Billy Epler and Buck Showalter right now. Like, that's what you expect to hear from an owner in the middle of the season. And we knew we weren't going to get that. So what do we get? That those guys are saved the rest of the year. That if this continues for another month, they're going to have to look at moving some high-priced talent. Uh, as long as some of them waive their no trade deals. And, but that's stuff that we probably already knew.
0: Right. And it's, you know, it, it is fascinating here a month from the trade deadline to think about what New York Mets could become available. They're eight games below 500. They're, they're nine games back of a playoff spot. Even you look at a team like the Padres who are in a similar spot in terms of underperforming six games under 500, eight games out of a playoff spot. Um, how much do you think teams like those two, or even the Seattle Mariners to a lesser extent, you know, kind of taking a step back and looking at 2024 instead of pushing further in for this year, how drastically could that shift what things look like a month from now?
2: Well, it could, I think the hard thing is being honest with yourself. I think teams have a really difficult time. Self-evaluating because the people who are constructing the roster believe in it, right? You don't think AJ Preller sits there and says, Jesus, what did I do wrong? He's probably looking at that roster saying guys play better. Like, I put this team together to win a World Series and you're laying an egg halfway through the season. So, and the other thing that makes it interesting is that you have to remember the number six seed from the National League playoffs made the World Series last year. So they all have this mentality that with this roster, we just have to get in. We don't have to finish with the best record in this league. Last year, the one and two seeds, the seeds that got buys in the National League got bounced in the divisional round, so we just have to make it here. That's it. So if they feel like they still got a shot and if, who knows, these teams could knock off two or three games off the wild card standings in the next 10 days by the time everybody gets to Seattle. And then if you're five out, you're like, okay, we got a shot. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to figure out exactly where they are at a certain time And the one thing we did get from Steve Cohen yesterday was the fact that he said, I told all my people to be ready for all sorts of contingency plans. And I think that's what you have to do if you're a high-priced team.
0: Yeah, it's certainly... I mean, look, the money's not... He's not short on money, but you do work within some sort of a budget. And if you can salvage something for this year because you're selling off that, that's stuff you can use toward next year as well. Um, We mentioned some of these playoff races, Uh, a less exciting Playoff race, maybe, uh, it's exciting based on its tightness, but maybe not in terms of the quality of the team. But I, I know you're a Cleveland guy. The Guardians are suddenly the hottest team in the AL Central. They win, I think, 14-1 to 1 last night. They, they take over the lead there. Um, are, you, are you buying on your hometown Guardians?
2: Well, buying from the standpoint of I think they'll be there all year. I think the most interesting aspect of my team is the fact that three-fifths of the rotation is made up of rookies. True rookies, guys who didn't make their Major League debut until May of this year, didn't even break camp. So they've got three guys that they're really relying on. Uh, High draft picks. Their number one pick from a couple years ago, Gavin Williams, who has made two starts and looked great um, Tuesday against the Royals. Logan Allen, who's a left-hander, who is gutty, but throws way too many pitches for not enough innings. And Tanner Byvey, a kid who's had some really good starts and some that have been so-so the question will be with them because of the injury to McKenzie, which I think is going to be a while and Bieber kind of being in flux, meaning could they trade him? Could they not? Those guys are going to throw a lot of innings at the major league level. At some point, if they have all three rookies in the rotation, they're going to reach their innings limit. And then where do they go? If it's September 15th and they've got a one game lead, what do you do? So I think their balancing act is trying to figure out, okay, do we really go for it this year because we know we're not as good as some of these teams that are at the top of the American League, or do we roll the dice and just get in there and say, screw it, let's go for it?
0: Yeah, and that's something to watch here in Toronto is Canadian Cal Quantrill is expected to rejoin that rotation on yep. Friday. So maybe they can six-man it or save some of those younger guys some innings. Um, but always nice to see a guy like Quantrill, who's very well-liked here and well-liked in Cleveland, of course, um, back from injury. Uh, you mentioned Seattle and that all-star break that's coming up in, in a week or so here, Chris, I know all of John Boy media are, are headed down there. It's bucket hat season. I'm sure mid July. Um, what are you most looking forward to uh, about the all-star break?
2: Well, I mean, I, I always love going to the home run therapy. It's great energy. It's the third straight year. We're going to go as a company Had a great time in Colorado and then LA last year, and now Seattle. Um, And then we always have a really, really fun all-star watch party. So we don't even go to the game on Tuesday. We just ran out of bar. So if anybody's going to Seattle and it's like, I don't have tickets to the all-star game, don't worry. We're doing a whole uh, show where we do live podcasts and do our ref guests, which is a really fun game that has now become the immaculate grid on (laughs) Twitter um, for everybody to enjoy. But we've been doing it a long time. Um, we're going to be at Optimism Brewing Company. You can just check out our social media channels if you're going to be in the area and want to come hang and just, you know, have a few beers and talk baseball with your buddies.
0: It sounds like a great time. And we know that Canadian baseball fans travel super well from the Vancouver area when the Jays are in Seattle. Uh, So why not head down for the All-Star Game? Uh, Join the John Boy Media crew and Chris Rose. Chris Rose, I know you got to go. Thanks so much for taking the time out today, man. I really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure, Blake. Anytime. Thank you.
0: Chris Rose of Baseball Today, show he does with Trevor Pluff. He's also of the Rose Rotation Podcast, uh, come NFL season, an NFL podcast as well over at John Boy Media. Good chat with Tyler Glasnow this week from the sounds of it. In the second half of the show, we're going to tee up tonight's game. We're going to let you know a little bit about Keaton Wynn, who's going to make his first major league start for San Francisco as the Jays try to take this series with Chris Bassett on the mound. Um, we're going to talk to Madison Shipman, who's women's softball analyst at ESPN. She's been on the show before. You've seen her popping up more and more on Blue Jay Central of late. She's been on Central uh, with Joe and Jamie this series as uh, so well. Pick her brain on what happened last night and what that might look like for Bassett tonight, um, not calling his own pitches and how a team may adjust to seeing a pitcher for the very first time. Uh, Kevin Barker is going to join us a little later as well. You can keep your texts coming in throughout the show. We'll sprinkle those in in the second half. Text 590, uh, 590, your midseason thoughts. If you, if you have a take on any of those props, we threw J.D. Bunkus's way a little earlier Tyler from London asks, uh, if Hyunjin Ryu is gearing up with live hitters already, uh, could you expect him back by late July without any uh, setbacks? That is, I think that's always been what Hyunjin Ryu himself has been aiming for. I think with this kind of thing, you can't really, until the rehab assignment starts and he's actually pitching in games, it's hard to timeline just because, you know, if he's doing two up, two down Sims or bullpens right now you know that's one thing but it's it's not game action and really the the rehab assignment is just a helpful timeline tool because it starts a 30-day clock that the team has to make a decision on that's not the case for Manoa because he's just been optioned down Um, but with Ryu yeah I think if coming out of the all-star break he's they're like okay he's ready to get in game action here's a rehab assignment I think you know early August is maybe something you could target Tyler also asks why not let Bowden Francis have some traditional starts it would only be a couple lets you move Richards back to leverage roles so Tyler this is something that you know I, I've kicked around on this show a bunch is I, Trevor Richards has been unbelievable in this extended opener role but you do lose him for a couple days in leverage spots and, and he pitched his way to kind of the seventh inning guy for this Blue Jays team underneath Swanson and Meza uh, and sometimes You know, he's another guy you can trust against lefties um, for a a lefty heavy pocket of the order. So I'm with you on that being something I'd want to manage. It's why I don't really believe in utilizing the four man rotation with bullpen days for too much longer. I think for right now, they're just trying to get to the all star break where they can reset and reevaluate all this stuff. I wouldn't be against, you know, Richards only threw 40 pitches yesterday. He could very conceivably be available in moderate leverage on the weekend and then open another game uh, in that next stretch. But, yeah, it's definitely something you have to manage. And maybe the confidence in about in Francis doing that is increased after after he goes four innings yesterday with just one earned run. Some hard contact within there. Still some, you know, questions about. What, to what level the the fastball is going to play the the breaking stuff both the curveball and the slider have been very very good and no one's really squared them up yet um but still some you know some minor things with the fastball still you go four innings against a really good offense and you only give up one earned you have made a case for an extended appearance um, also he was very pitch efficient which is always a nice thing to see with a young pitcher. Uh related to Tyler's question, Ed and Aurelia asks, uh, if Ryu and Green come back and are effective, um oh, I don't know what I I don't know what that question is supposed to be. Sorry, Ed and Aurelia. He goes from a Ryu Green thing um, right into uh something about a cleanup hitter. I don't know how those things are uh related. So I apologize for stumbling over that one. But um yeah keep the text coming to 590 590. And we will uh, we'll sprinkle those in through the second half of the show. Uh, Jeremy from the junction wonders if the health luck the Jays are having isn't all luck. Could the investment in sports science department be helping create an advantage for them and keeping players more healthy? Certainly a theory. I think it's also potentially a theory that they have a pitching staff that with a couple exceptions isn't a super high velo and super hard break. Um, Pitching staff, it's a lot of change-ups and splitters and things like that. Um, they are not, you know, if we were talking about fatigue units and what pitches have the biggest toll on arms, um, there is, you know, some evidence to suggest that the Jays, the the types of pitchers the Jays have targeted and developed are a little on the safer side. I um, think we probably need a, a, a little bit longer of, of a sample here, but it's uh, it's an interesting thought, Jeremy. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, talk to Madison Shipman of ESPN of Sportsnet of Blue Jay Central as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.
1: Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe
2: and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jays looking to take... A series against the San Francisco Giants. Tonight, down at Roger 7, Roger Center, 7 o'clock game. Uh Chris Bassett against Keaton Wynn. Keaton Wynn's been used out of the San Francisco bullpen as a bulk guy to date. He's made three appearances spanning 12 innings. Uh 375 ERA, decent underlying metrics, nothing particularly special, but he is going to get his first shot at a Major league start tonight, not a opener, not a bulk follow. San Francisco Giants saying he is just going to start, period. That's something he'd done all through the minor leagues. He had started nine games earlier in the year at AAA. Uh, had a 435 ERA there. Weirdly enough, had a big, big strikeout rate at AAA and, and then moved to a relief roll and struck out fewer batters. Normally we'd see uh, the opposite, but maybe the jump in competition level uh, just a little much for him to be missing bats right now. We'll see how that looks uh, a little later tonight. Well, we'll continue to tee that one up. We'll tee up the series finale here with someone who is now a Toronto veteran, Madison Shipman, ESPN softball analyst, Sportsnet analyst, a part of Blue Jay Central. Last time we talked to you, it was your very first like moments in Toronto. You've been here twice now, two trips. How are you feeling? How are you enjoying the city? <laughs>
3: Well, I still cannot be trusted with directions, but I can find my way from my hotel to the stadium without having to look at my phone. So I'm going to call that a win, although at the end of my last trip up here, I somehow ended up in the line in the stadium to go and run around the bases after the game. So I'm still working on navigating my way through the stadium.
0: Did you run the bases since you were down there anyway?
3: Uh, You know, I thought about it. I did not. There was uh, so many kids in line to run the bases that luckily somebody found me in my full suit and assumed that I was not going down on the field to run the bases and helped me navigate my way out of the stadium. Although I I would have liked to see what my time is running around the bases. I'd imagine it's much slower than the last time I was out on the field competing.
0: Well, I I don't think that is anything other than... Yeah, you know, I, I don't think that's a you thing. I, I think that's the environment. You're you're not wearing the right shoes. Um I know you're you're a kicks person, not a cleats person da- down at the park, so I, I don't think that's uh I don't think that's on you. By the way, that's a that's a part of um, Junior Jays Sundays where, where you can sign up ahead of time and book a slot for your kids to run the bases. The next one of those is this Sunday. Um, and Madison, you'll be on the call this Sunday. You're, you're doing uh, radio color commentary with, with Ben Wagner for the Red Sox series. We'll, we'll talk about this giant series first. But but since that came up, um, how much are you looking forward to that? How much changes for you, do you think, going Blue Jay Central to, uh, you know, the, the color role next to Wagner?
3: You know, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I've always felt the, the prep for studio and prep for calling games is, is similar and yet different. And when you're doing studio stuff, obviously much quicker hits, really uh, overarching topics. But I'm really looking forward to being able to dive into uh, some deep conversations about the Blue Jays and the Red Sox by doing those radio calls this weekend. So very much looking forward to it. It should be another really good series between uh, two teams in the AL East. So Uh, It's going to be a good one. And I'm uh, hoping I don't find my way uh, lost in the stadium again when it comes time for Sunday. (laughs) No, it's nice.
0: It's nice and easy to find the radio booth. You'll, you'll be, uh, you'll be fine for that one. Um, So fun battle that weekend, fun battle in this series. That's now one, one, the Jays, even this series against the giants up last night, Uh, the giants are kind of the bullpen day team. They're the team that they just do it all the time. They've got bulk guys with, you know, stripling and Junis and wood and Manaya coming out of the pen but the Jays beat them at their own game yesterday thanks to Trevor Richards and Bowden Francis. They combined for seven innings of one-run ball. Um, what have you made of the Blue Jays' ability to pair Richards and Francis and get, you know, not just fairly effective starts where, where they keep a team in the game, but to get length from that duo as well as they try to manage through the Manoa situation here?
3: Well, once we got through the first three innings of that ball game, I know Joe Siddle and I kind of turned to each other and we're like, Trevor Richards is pitching so well, are you tempted to keep him into this game? And it's interesting when you look at how he has really gone away from the curveball this year. It is just the changeup and it's the fastball. And both of those pitches have been so efficient that he can get away with really just mixing those two. Uh, And the changeup almost acts like two different pitches, in my opinion. Sometimes he'll get a bit more run on it, other times a bit more depth to it. Um, But you can tell by some of the swings that the Giants were taking that they were not able to pick up that pitch out of his hand. But ultimately, John Schneider decided to have him throw those three innings, bring in Bowden Francis, who I think is a good mix, too, because he has a few more pitches that he's going to throw in there. did give up the one home run, but it was just a solo shot. And that's what I really liked from Bowden Francis, is he's not going to give up a ton of base runners. He hasn't given up a ton of free passes. He'll give up a hard hit every once in a while if he leaves those fastballs a little bit lower in the zone. But when he's able to locate the fastballs around the edges, particularly up in the zone, and then work in the curveball and the slider, that's where he's been the most effective. But I really like the way that they've been playing off of each other. And because Francis has pitched so well, you've been able to limit the amount of innings that Trevor Richards has thrown. And now maybe he's available for another bullpen appearance a few days from now. So that's kind of been the the strategy that it seems like for the, for the blue Jays, using that bullpen rotation and Trevor Richards as that opener.
0: And it's a huge thing to potentially, you know, had Richards gone 65 pitches, say maybe he's not available at all until the the next time around in the bullpen day. But now you, you know, a big series with the Red Sox. He's a guy who's also pitched in some leverage, Um, you know, longer term the Jays are going to need to figure out a fifth starter, whether it's someone from the minors or trying Bowden Francis or a trade or something like that. But right now I think, you know, it's eyes on just make it to the all-star break and then figure it out. Um, Given how this has gone, are you comfortable with, you know, there are a couple more games before an off day, and then you'll probably have to use the bullpen day at least once during that White Sox-Tiger stretch. Given how well it's gone and that the all-star break is so close, are you just rolling with Richards and Francis because, hey, it's worked and you're kind of in, in, you know, just survival mode right now?
3: I think at that at this point, with as good as they've done in their appearances, I think you have to just roll with with that bullpen mentality now, of course, is that sustainable throughout the rest of the season? No, would you like to have another? starter into that rotation, get that fifth starter back. Absolutely. Because it allows you to have Richards and even Francis to throw in those high leverage situations. So, but for now with the timing of it, with all-star break coming up, I think this is the way that the blue Jays are going to go for the next two rounds through the rotation until they get to that break and maybe make some different changes when it comes to that starting rotation.
0: So in these bullpen games, uh, the blue Jays had lost the first two until last night. Now, One of those was okay. The bullpen didn't have the, uh, you know, the first bullpen day Richards was great. And then everyone else was kind of a, a mess after that. The second one was, well, the offense didn't give them anything. They only gave up four runs over eight innings and lost four to two to Texas last night the bats come through Madison. You and I were chatting pregame about the Jays inability to hit with runners in scoring position. And we're at the halfway part now. And both of us are getting a little, a little tired maybe of that being a conversation as often as it has been. Um, What did you like from their approach in those situations last night? They come up with six hits with runners in scoring position.
3: Well, you mentioned that really that kind of has been a story for the Blue Jays throughout this season. One day the pitching looks really good, but then you don't get the offense behind them. Maybe another day you finally get the offense going, but maybe the pitching isn't as good. And last night I really felt like all facets of the game came together for the Blue Jays. And and then that first inning, the bottom of the first inning, you had George Springer come through with the double to the right side. After falling behind 0-2 in that count. Took a couple of close pitches outside, got it back to a full count, ends up hitting that double to the right side to start things off. Bo does what Bo does well, and that's drive the ball back up the middle. It was a really good pitch, low and inside, but he's so good with his bat-to-ball skills, getting his barrel down underneath, able to drive it out to center field. But the at-bat that really stood out to me in that first inning was Brandon Bell's double out to center field. It's one thing to have guys that you're used to coming through like Bo Bichette and like George Springer who's starting to get back on track. But to have somebody that has not done very well with runners in scoring position throughout the season come through in that situation with a runner at first base, that to me set the tone for the rest of that game. And after Brandon Belt, you had Dalton Varsho come through, Whit Merrifield come through, Danny Jansen come through. It almost felt like when you had somebody outside of Vladdy, outside of Bo come through in that order, it took a lot of the pressure off of the rest of the batters in that offense. So that's where you saw them string together those good quality at-bats. And at the end of the day, that's what they've been missing. They've been missing that consistency piece. Every once in a while, you have a good at-bat from Bo You have a good at-bat by Vladdy. But then maybe you have a couple of consecutive non-productive at-bats. But last night, we saw them string it all together in that first inning, put up a big five spot, and that gives your pitching rotation a lot of confidence, especially on a bullpen day.
0: The confidence for, for the pitching staff, for sure, and you know whether it was Richards or Bowden Francis, you're pitching with a five-six-run lead. You can go, hey – you know, maybe I don't have to miss every bat. I, I can just pitch be a little more pitch efficient. Let, let the ball hit some bats and try to get weak contact. Um, but there's something in there. You mentioned that at Madison that I, I wanted to pull out as well. And, you know, when guys are through the lineup, getting hits like that. And last night, all nine players get hits Chapman and Guerrero kind of add theirs late six different players get RBI. Does that, Like, like what, how big an effect does that have? If you are, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Or someone like that, the sense that you don't have to do too much. You can just do your job and keep it rolling when everyone is kind of contributing like that. Is there a real kind of cascading trickle down effect to that?
3: I absolutely think that, that it is, and when you look at Vladdy, it's interesting because it always feels like he's the guy that's up with runners in scoring position, and recently he hasn't been able to come through, but when you look at the numbers, his batting average is actually higher with runners in scoring position than his overall batting average. His run, batting average with runners in scoring position is up to three oh three. His overall batting average is down at two eighty. so he does come through with runners in scoring position, but we look at him as maybe not being as productive because we're not seeing the home runs. If he was hitting home runs at the clip like somebody uh, like Matt Olson is doing for the Braves with number 26, then we wouldn't really be having this conversation. But I, I, what it does is it takes the pressure off of Laddie, maybe not thinking that he has to hit a home run every single time he comes up to the plate. Because hitters know the home runs come when you're not trying to hit a home run. When you go up there and try to hit a home run, that's when mechanically maybe your swing's a little bit late, maybe you're dropping your hands a bit too much to get underneath that baseball and then you're mishitting it so for the rest of the lineup to be able to come through i definitely think it's going to take some pressure off of Laddie's shoulders and hopefully we see some more swings like we saw from him in the last series against the oakland a's
0: so last night is a is a good step in the right direction and again to go back what you and i were talking about before the game you know it's it's a little odd sometimes when a team is either incredibly good with runners in scoring position or incredibly bad with runners in scoring position, because you know. And again, you and I talked about it, you can dig into the numbers a little bit, and there are tiny things, but nothing that would explain. Hey, this really good offense is really bad with runners in scoring position. Uh, the Jays average now up to uh, two forty-one with runners in scoring position. By the way, um, but what do you make of you know? We're at the halfway mark now, and Ross Atkins told us yesterday. They think the process is good and all of that kind of stuff will round out um, at the midway mark, though. Does does it start to and again, maybe yesterday's a step in the right direction mentally as well, um, but does it start to get in guys heads? Because this is a situation where, you know, runners in scoring position, the pressure is supposed to be on the pitcher, not on the hitters. <laughs>
3: Yeah, there's no doubt that these players are very well aware of the fact that they were struggling with runners in scoring position, especially when, uh, for example, when you have somebody like Kevin Gosman, who's going out there throwing wonderful games, and you're not giving him that run support. I guarantee those hitters know that going up to the plate, so they're trying a little bit harder to come through in those situations. And again, when you try harder, that's when the mechanical issues might start to rear their ugly heads or maybe you're swinging outside of the zone at a pitch that you shouldn't go after in a good hitter's count. But for them, the the big talk going into yesterday's ballgame was really the collective approach of getting a good pitch to hit no matter the situation, whether there's nobody on or the base is loaded, you have to stick to that process. And and what that does as a batter, too, is it keeps your mind off of the outside noise. It keeps it off of the situation and just purely on that approach and the pitch specifically that you're looking at in that count. It's all about simplifying the game, and we all know how mental – the, the batting side of the game is for baseball so when you're able to simplify the game down to just looking at one specific pitch not worried so much about the situation or how how poorly the team has done with runners in scoring position but just focusing at that one pitch at a time that was something that I really felt that the Blue Jays took re- good strides towards being more consistent in that last night it's just been something that they've had drastically different at-bats with, with nobody on versus runners in scoring position. And, and I don't necessarily mean that by the results, but even by the swings that they've been taking and by the swings that they're, or the pitches that they're swinging at. Whereas last night, very good about bringing the ball more into the zone, even a little bit up, to with Logan Webb, who is very good at inducing a lot of ground ball outs you could see the collective approach was to force them to bring those pitches a little bit higher into the zone so that they could get their barrels underneath. And when you string together those quality at-bats, have that pass the bat mentality, that's when you're going to start to put up crooked numbers on the board,
0: crooked numbers indeed. And you said, you know, kind of just focus in on one pitch. That might be something that's very difficult for the San Francisco giants to do tonight because Chris Bassett throws about 30 of them. Uh, Chris Bassett <laughs> has had a bit of a rough time of late though. And he's beat himself up a little bit for it. He has said at least coming out of his last start that maybe for a little bit here, he's not going to call his own game. He's been someone who, you know, I think he has a double sized pitch calm because he throws so many pitches and, and (laughs) throws them all over the place but he is maybe going to the let up and trust the catcher here a little bit we think that's going to be alejandro kirk uh the word was yesterday everything had gone well we expect him to be activated off of the il uh today what have you made uh, of bassett's comments coming out of his last couple starts and this decision to hey maybe i should let the catcher call things and just focus on on executing for right now
3: We all know Chris Bassett is a very cerebral pitcher. He is very particular about the pitches that he throws in certain counts, even all the way down to where the catchers are setting up back behind the plate. So one of the reasons that he did go to calling his own game was, one, the pitch clock restrictions didn't allow him enough time to – shake off uh, the pitches to get to the one that he wants because you mentioned he's got about I I don't know maybe up to 45 pitches or so that he throws out there now so there's not enough time to be able to go through all of those pitches and and when you look at the the times that maybe he hasn't had as good of an outing it's not so much the pitch call but it's the execution of the pitch maybe he's throwing a cutter and it's just not cutting inside enough to those left-handed batters that gets left over the plate And gets hit out of the park for a home run. So for him to be able to get rid of that pitch comp. Put the full trust in the catcher. To be able to call this game. I think that's going to allow him to focus more on the execution of these pitches. Rather than the pitch sequence in which he wants to throw them. So I do think it's going to be a two-way street. You're going to have to see him really trust in the pitches that are being called behind the plate. Because there isn't a ton of time to shake off. Uh, you saw him shake off a couple of times with Danny Jansen back behind the plate when he was calling pitches, his last outing. But for the most part, you could tell that he had full trust in everything that Danny Jansen was throwing. And because of that was much more efficient in his outings when the catcher was calling the pitches. So I think that's something that he can really build on moving forward, still being particular about what he's throwing because as a pitcher, you have to be bought into the pitch that you're throwing, but maybe taking some of the pressure off of having to come up with those pitch sequences and just focus on executing one pitch at a time.
0: If it is Kirk behind the plate, also that's someone who's gotten to know him fairly well. 11 of his 16 starts have come throwing to Kirk, and he's got a sub-2 ERA. In those games, um, do you do you believe much? Of, like we know that Alejandro Kirk is uh, a slightly better pitch framer than Danny Jansen. That's something we can quantify. That's especially true with low pitches and pitches on the outer third to lefties. Maybe that's something that particularly affects Bassett. But big picture, are you a big believer in you know catcher ERA or, or a catcher pitcher, like a pitcher being better to one catcher than he
3: is to someone else? it has a little bit to do with it, but really it, it comes down to me to the pitcher executing in certain locations. And when you look at the pitches that were getting hit out of the park uh, by the A's against Bassett or even going back to that Orioles series where Gunnar Henderson hit the grand slam off of him, it comes down to I wasn't looking so much at the catcher and where they were setting up, but more so the execution of the pitch, and at the end of the day, that's on the pitcher. Uh, now having that rapport and kind of knowing where Chris Bassett likes to go in certain counts I think give, gives Alejandro Kirk a bit of an advantage in those situations, but again, it's going to come down to Bassett being able to execute on the edges of the zone, really mixed speeds, because he's not going to go out there and pump 11, 12 strikeouts. He's going to be one of those pitchers that's going to get batters to miss hit and really get their timing off balance and do some weak fly ball outs, some weak ground ball outs. And in order to do that, you have to throw the ball around the strike zone, get those pitches to break, and continue to mix speeds throughout the ball game. But it's going to be a challenge for him, too, because we know the Giants do like to line up a ton of lefties, and the splits are are pretty drastically different when Chris Bassett's throwing to left-handed hitters versus right-handed hitters, even just the home run numbers. He's only given up three home runs to right-handed batters this year. He's given up 13 a left-handed batter so what that's telling me is that either the cutter or the slider isn't breaking as much to those lefties as it is to those right-handed batters
0: yeah it's it's a big concern and like you said there are a lot of lefties that they can throw in this lineup and there are a lot of lefties who can hit for some pop near the top of this lineup jock peterson uh, chief among them jock peterson has Faced Chris Bassett six times before and uh, Homered off of him twice and doubled once. So uh maybe not uh maybe that doesn't bode well. I have that stat handy because on the other side of things, the Blue Jays have never faced Keaton Wynn before. Nobody's faced him. He's a rookie. He came out of the bullpen for three bulk appearances for San Francisco, but he's going to get his first major league start tonight. Um, Madison, does how does the prep differ with someone not only who you've never faced before, but there isn't a lot of major league sample on. Of course, a guy, there's going to be AAA video and these major league teams have a lot of data on AAA starts and stuff. But this is someone who's pretty new to the majors and has been working in, you know, a bulk relief role instead of a starting role. Is it a case where, you know, the information you do have is not, I mean, it's useful, but not as useful as it might be for, say, someone like Logan Webb, who there's a lot more tape on?
3: I think for the batters in this situation, when you don't have as much information on the pitcher, you can, it can really go back to honing in on what are your strengths and go up there and look for a pitch that you really want to attack. I wouldn't be surprised, too, if the Blue Jays, maybe the first time through the order, are a bit more selective at the pitches that they want to swing at. Of course, if he leaves one hanging over the middle of the plate, you want to be aggressive. But, At the end of the day, you want to put the pressure on the pitcher too, so really force him to throw a lot of pitches on the mound, make him really work early in the ballgame and try to run up that pitch count because every single pitch that you see is not only giving you information in your at-bat, but it's also giving your teammates information before they step up to the plate. So we saw George Springer go to a full count to start off the ball game yesterday. Would not be surprised if we see him go deep into the count again today just to try to build up that information. He's got a split finger that he'll throw roughly around 89 miles an hour. He's got the four-seam fastball that's up there in 96-mile-an-hour range, Uh, a sinker as well in the 95-mile-an-hour range. So everything's coming in there uh, pretty hard. Um, But again, it's just building up that that knowledge in the game and trying to run up the pitch count. And and I think the hitters can have an advantage by not having maybe as much information on him and focusing on what their strengths are and going up there and attacking those spots.
0: So what our strengths are here in Canada, Madison, and you're going to get to experience this this weekend, um, of course, you know, Fourth of July, that's coming up on Tuesday, big holiday, lots of baseball <laughs> celebrations, stuff like that. But you're going to get the Canada Day game on Saturday at 3 p.m. start against the Red Sox. Annually, one of the most fun games uh, that the Blue Jays have on their calendar, especially this year with it being uh, the Red Sox in town. How excited are you for your first Canada Day?
3: I I can't wait and it's so close to 4th of July too and I did bring a little bit of red. I do have some red kicks that I brought on my trip with me. So I'm going to be sporting some red on Canada Day, Canada Day for everybody. Can
0: you spoil for us what what shoe it is?
3: Uh, I've got some there's some black and red uh Jordans. So I'll be wearing some low-top Jordans for you guys.
0: This is, uh, this well, I guess you're on the radio this weekend. I was going to say that that's a day where, uh, you know, like we talked about yesterday, you got to just sneak the shoe out just out of the side of the desk <laughs> a little bit so people can appreciate it. Uh, no such luck on the radio. You'll just have to describe it to Ben Wagner uh, yeah. in great detail. Uh, Madison, thanks. Thanks so I much was going to say, maybe
3: I'll try to, run, I'll try to run by the studio set and see if I can flash my shoes into the background of uh, maybe Joe Siddle and Jamie Campbell up there. <laughs> perfect.
0: Perfect. That's great. Uh, Madison Shipman, thanks so much for taking the time
3: out. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Madison Shipman, uh, ESPN Women's Softball Analyst at, at ESPN, of course, and uh, on Blue Jay Central for this series on the radio call with Ben Wagner on the weekend uh, for the Boston Red Sox series. Keep your texts coming uh, to 590-590. A couple of good ones in there. Don't know that we'll get to all of them, but uh, we'll sprinkle them in uh, after we talk to Kevin Barker in a bit here. Here's a fun one. Justin from Etobicoke asks, what is the single best pitch on the Blue Jays staff outside of Gosman's splitter and Richard's changeup? Now, that's that's a tough one because, well, first of all, Richard's changeup is elite. It's one of the very best changeups in baseball. Kevin Gosman's splitter is right near the tippy top of the league in swinging strikes this year. Uh, It's a, those two are in a class of their own. Statistically, the next pitch up is actually Eric Swanson's splitter has one of the lowest batting averages against has one of the uh, highest poor contact and swing and miss rates. So statistically that's the one Um, in terms of importance. if, If we're looking at how often it's thrown and how crucial it is to success as well, I might lean Jose Brios's slurve, um, what, however you want to classify that breaking ball. Sometimes it comes; it's classified as a curveball, sometimes as a slurve. But with him throwing that about 30% of the time, with it being as effective as it is, and how important it is to um, you know, helping his 94, 95 fastball and sinker play up, to me, that that's probably next. But on just statistics, Swanson's splitter is next up. Uh, keep those texts coming to 590-590. We'll take a break. When we come back, talk to Kevin Barker of... Blair and Barker, as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.
1: The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there, real Kipper and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Joining us now of the Blair and Barker show five to seven every day. And you could get that wherever you get your podcast. Also Jay's talk post game. It's the best five o'clock hitter in the game. It's Kevin Barker. Kevin, how are you?
4: I appreciate that. How do you, how did you know that I could hit more homers than anybody at five o'clock? That's, how did you know that? That's bud?
0: the reputation. You've got a reputation for five o'clock. I've got a reputation for, you know, a happy hour around that time. We both got our five o'clock reputations. <laughs> Well, you got to be good at
4: something. That's what I always say.
0: Absolutely, I, I've got to ask. So, though Jeff Asobardi, my my producer, tells me that you're start whether you like it or not. You're starting to work in more numbers
4: into your own analysis and
0: things like that. Do we need to get you fitted for a pair of khakis?
4: What's the deal here? Uh, yeah. Well, well, look. If I was going to go all in, I'd be wearing cargo shorts. Right. It's <laughs> sort of like the it's the Tampa Bay way, Ray's way. If you if you're going to go, go all in. I, look. Yeah, I think sometimes you you try and mesh the two together. Am I married to, you know, all the numbers and, and, you know, everything that would take you away from just sort of the eye test, the gut feeling, the the how do you get out of 0 for 15s? Yeah yeah I'm not really there yet it's it's because i've been in in locker rooms I've been in you know clubhouses I've been in batting cages I've been between the lines it's sometimes it's just sort of that me against you and I there's a place for numbers, but there is also a place for you know a lot of that get your stick your nose in there you know get the foot down, get it singing that kind of thing so yeah we're trying to. We're trying to stay with the times and and give the people what they want.
0: Uh, It's a great mix. And I think it's the the right mix for radio. I think it's the right mix for teams probably too. You don't want to, you don't want to overdo the numbers and it's interesting. uh, It's an interesting time with respect to those numbers versus what the feel is in in the dugout for the Toronto Blue Jays right now, because this talk all season about their, their inability to execute with runners and scoring position. It's something that I know Ross Atkins talked to you guys about yesterday on Blair and Barker. And again, people can go check that interview out on yesterday's episode of the Blair and Barker podcast. You know, they see the process and they think it's all going to round out. And then I look at it. I'm like, huh, over 162 games. It usually does, but we're 81 in and, and it hasn't yet. Does a night like last night, give you a little more confidence that that, that element is going to turn for this team.
4: Yeah, it's hard, right? It's one inning. It's the first yeah. inning, right? It's a it's a sinker ball guy didn't have the sinker. You know, you you, you were there. You were seeing the same exact thing that everybody else was seeing. Uh, seeing. Whenever Logan Webb had the sinker, right, he was locating. It had late bite to it. You know, guys were having a tough time getting it up. They were having a tough time getting it in the air. You could see that. You know, he had some easier innings. Give him credit when he made a bad pitch. He made bad sequencing, right? He threw some change ups to a Brandon Belt to a Danny Jansen that you probably should never do, right? Those are easy pitches. Just to get in the air one you know to pull side the other one the other way with a with some guys on base uh, look uh, th- i i think this team for me anyway is missing something right whenever vladimir Guerrero jr doesn't look like we want him to look this team just doesn't look right, right? It's it's who's the guy that can consistently come up, have that competitive at bat. You're not always going to get a hit with a dude standing in, in scoring position, but it's that competitive at bat, right? It's knowing that you have a weakness. It's knowing that the dude on the mound is going to try and execute that part of the zone because that is the part of the zone that you have issues of either making hard contact or you know hitting the ball where you want it to go. That's the person that sort of – Right is the missing factor in in this lineup consistently. And again, I, it's just it's a hard look sometimes having Brandon Belts and the Dalton Varshows and the Whit Merrifields. Not don't take anything away from those kind of guys, but right those are not run producers. And when you start asking them to be those kind of things, they go outside the box, they expand, they overswing. Right mechanically, they're just not there. They swing at pitches they probably shouldn't swing at early counts because they're trying too hard because they're human beings. So. Long-winded answer, probably not, right? I think this is two each its own. I I do like the way sometimes they're trying to make out their lineups to have the big inning. It's not so much for, right? You're trying to do this consistently every other inning. You're trying to do this in the first inning. You're trying to do this in the third inning. You're trying to jump guys early in games with runners with traffic on the bases. That's why you're trying to make out your lineups the way you're trying to make them out to, to sort of play the hot hand, right? It's sort of the Tra- Trevor Richards effect, right? You, you, you're putting him in the game to give your offense a chance to have the beginning. That's sort of the thing you're trying to do with your lineups. When John Snyder sitting in his office, pulling his hair out, trying to figure out ways to get the right dude up at the right time. So, yeah, not for me really. I consistently I need to see it more. It's like the it's like whenever we are watching Vladimir Guerrero Jr. against the Oakland A's. <laughs> I mean that that approach works for them because they will throw a ball down the middle. Has it worked since? He's still expanding when he. Gets the pitch down the middle. We all know, right? The Khakis, yeah, yeah, they love dreaming about the hard hit, you know, 17 hopper double play ball in the infield because of when he's getting his pitch to hit, he can get better extension and hit the ball better than most people can hit it. So, yeah, they're a good team right now. They're just not a great team. Yeah, and the hard hit stuff, it's funny to, to look at an
0: inning like the first inning yesterday where they have four extra base hits off softly hit balls just kind of yeah. – Dinkin' and Duncan. I, I'm curious, I know it was just one inning and Logan Webb had so, some location and sequencing issues, but when you have a guy like that who's such a good ground ball pitcher and when he's on, it's change up low and that sinker that's tough to get underneath, mechanically, what are you trying to do to get lift against the guy like that? And, you know, do you see a line between, hey, you gotta change your, your bad path a little bit to, to get underneath a guy like Logan Webb and the fact that the Jays did have some kind of lesser hard hit bloop singles and doubles instead of the more line drive approach we've seen from them at times.
4: Uh, Yeah, it's very hard, right, to go up and change unless you're Boba uh, the You know, manipulate the barrel, try to do things with your lower half, right? You squat lower because you want your barrel to have a different angle to get the ball in the air because the guy throws a good sinker to you. Most human beings can't do that. Boba can't, right? And then there's everybody else, and everybody else has to lay off the good sinker, get the elevated change up, hit a ball to the warning track that's going to bounce off the wall, right? That's sort of the Brandon Belts and the Danny Jansons who are getting and in better counts, get a change up that's elevated, that's a little middle of the way, stay within yourself, be who you are, you know, be mechanically sound, get in an athletic position. I, I talk about that all the time. For me, it's not always about how you look when you start, it's how you look when you finish, right? And sometimes how your takes are look, looking. In the first inning, they did those things, right? The takes were better. Uh, They look like they were seeing it out of the hand. Obviously, he didn't have his good sinker. He didn't have good finish on that. When you don't have good finish and good release point, the ball doesn't tend to go where you want it to go. It didn't have the hair on it, right? The sinker sometimes, when you're facing those kind of guys, it's like hitting a bowling ball. They need to have the good finish, the good roll off the fingers, Right When they have that, it's going to have the tunneling, the late movement to it. That's why they're most of the time sinker slider guys. They'll add a a four-seamer to lefties. They'll throw a change up to lefties, but just for whatever reason didn't have it in the first inning. Give the Blue Jays credit that when they got a good one, they didn't miss it, and Pitching's been good. The pitching, what would they do without the Trevor Richards Uh, of the world, the Jose Barrios of the world, the Yusei Kikuchi's of the world? I mean, we were trying to run two of those three. Maybe Trevor Richards also. I know Jeff Blair on our show. Not a big fan, right? Tired of seeing that last year. And all of a sudden, where would this team be without those three guys? They wouldn't be close to a wild card spot, I can tell you that, because of the way their offense has been looking. No, it's it's been tremendous. And
0: Brios, you could have had some confidence in him bouncing back, but he's having arguably his best season now, not, not just getting back to where he was. And, and Kikuchi's having his best year as well. Uh, so I'm with you. You look at a guy like Trevor Richards last night, he even Bowden Francis in relief. Um, those guys have helped you be in this wild card spot. And you have to hope if you're the offense, those guys have held you over and helped you win games until the offense comes around. Now you guys talked to Ross Atkins yesterday on, on the Blair and Barker show, um, you know, the the idea of adding to that rotation came up. The idea of adding in general came up when he was speaking with media down at Rogers Center as well. Um, I, I know we're still a month out from the trade deadline here, but what were your impressions? Uh, you know, what did you come away from your chat with Atkins thinking in terms of where this team is going to target additions the next little while?
4: Yeah, I think he likes his team. I mean, that is that is the million-dollar question, right? How do you take this team to the, to a different level? I don't think they're going to bring in a, a legit cleanup hitter, right, a guy that you know can run, produce, and and get the big hit when it matters the most, when the lights are the brightest. I, I, I think for two reasons. I, I don't think they have a ton uh, to give up to get it. You know, a lot of the teams that you thought were going to be really good in Major League Baseball are, are – You know, not real good this season. You don't know if they're going to be buyers or sellers or or they're going to stand stand pat. So it's. It's sort of a chess match between some of these good teams, some of these teams that are on the bubble on who you're trying to go after because you don't really know what the other teams are are willing to give up. You don't even know if they like organiz- in your organization. And that's the sort, sort of the thing. I hate playing this game, right? Hmm. Because I- even if you try and play this game, you know, you could look at the Lane Thomases in the world with the Nationals. You could look at Salvador Perez, who's at the end of that contract. You know, He's 33 years old, a good catcher, who can hit some home runs who can get some big hits. You can look at Ryan McMahon for the Rockies who just signed a six-year deal. Like, you can look at dudes like that. But we really have no idea if the Rockies like who the, the Blue Jays have to offer or even if Ross would be willing to give up anybody, right? You would have to probably give up somebody that's in your big league on your big league team and in a whoever they might like at the minor league level. And I'm just not sure if they're willing to give up you know, whoever they might be willing to give up. It didn't sound like he was buying into – I know Jeff asked him about uh, Matt Chapman at third base because he's a free agent at the end of the year. Boy, he 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 <laughs> shot that down in a hurry, right, just because of the defense and, the you know, everybody's in love with that clubhouse thing. So it didn't seem like he was willing to do that. So this is a – it's going to be an interesting time here to see. I think he has to do something just because of the room, right, and what they've been through and – you know, what they're not doing, which they were, you know, sort of expected to do starting the season. You know, some guys are not living up to par in the, in the rotation. And obviously we know what Manoa's issues are. So we know they need another eighth inning guy for me. Maybe Chad Green's the guy. Maybe Ryu can come back. Maybe they will give them some energy, right? Just bringing those two guys, give you a quality start here and there. Maybe Chad Green can fill in the blank sort of in the eighth inning. So yeah, this is, this is sort of the, you know, the, I don't want to say that the downfall of being a GM at the big league level when you are on a contending team, who is sort of, eh, you know, are they a good team? Can they be a great team? Would they be a better team depending on who you would who you would bring in? So, there's a lot of question here questions here to answer, but I do think long-winded. He needs to do something, meaning Ross Atkins. I'm just not sure exactly if we're gonna, all going to be happy with what he does.
0: Yeah, and it, like you said, it, it's a tough spot. At least he's not in a spot where the owners call him press conferences like the Mets did yesterday. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned Manoa there, and obviously Manoa's status kind of hangs over all of this. I, I know you guys you know, picked Ross's brain on, yeah, the results were really, really bad, but what did you guys see? And he said things like 71% strike rate, the tempo was mm-hmm. better, the velocity was up a little bit. The changeup looked good. You know, John Schneider told us yesterday pregame, the slider wasn't really where they they wanted it. So maybe that's a concern. Um, how much do you, do you buy that kind of stuff? Like, obviously they've got to look at more than just the result, but when you see something as extreme as 11 runs over two and two thirds innings, does do things like 71% strikeout rate and he's throwing with better tempo. Do those mean anything to you?
4: No, I, for, for me, I think we got to be real careful when we talk about Alec Manoa just just because of the way the optics look when he left here, right? I know there were some rumblings about him coming back in July first. I, I thought that was silly. I don't I don't even know where people got that from. You know, it, it's the the conversation that that I had had with some people that were closer to that and you know, had said, let, let, let's worry about the conditioning, the the throwing program, let's get that taken care of first and foremost, right? The mental side of it will be taken care of when those first two things are taken care of, and then you can start working on mechanical things, right? St- staying direct to your target, not falling so much off to the first base side. He's a big dude. You know, even if he goes there, dare I say, loses some weight, you know, that's a, you know, nobody wants to say that, but that's basically what this is coming down to, right? Just so, repeatability, it's when I throw a bad one, when my slider is atrocious, like it was in, you know, down there in that side session. I could, I guess <laughs> that's what sort of you could call it. When the slider is as bad as it is. How can he self-correct on the mound? Just quite frankly, being in better shape, right? The arm's in better shape. He's condition-wise in better shape. Now you can repeat that thing. Everything will work the way you want it to work because you can force it to work better. I think that's where they—they're trying to get it headed in the right direction. They're going to say all the right things. They're not going to come on to people like you and me and and mm. you know yell and scream about how bad he is because they want him back sooner than later. They understand if they could get you know three quarters of Alec Manoa last year down the stretch. What a boost he would be. Now you could sort of, you know, use Trevor Richards the way you'd want to use him, right? Higher leverage because the way Jimmy Garcia is looking and Nate Pearson's looking like some unknowns there. And, you know, Swanson sometimes split fingers not the way everybody wants it to be because he's not a hard thrower. So yeah, look, it's I for me, it would not be a surprise. And I don't know about you, that we don't see Alec Manoa this year, and I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a bad thing for Alec Manoa, right? I think it just he needs, needs to go away. We need to stop t- trying to talk about him as much as we're talking about him. I know he's a topic, and when he gets lit up in a ball, hmm. everybody wants to yell and scream about him. But I just think it's. Better for Alec Manoa just to go away and figure out everything he needs to figure out. And when he comes back, I think the slider will have more bite to it. The fastball command arm side will be better for me. That's what made him elite is when he is in with movement to the righty, he can control that side of the plate, have called strikes there. It opens up the slider all of a sudden because you know as well as anybody, most hitters, mechanically consistently have an issue of keeping that ball fair in I'm not talking about inner third I'm talking about the black in to a righty especially from a right-handed pitcher it's very tough so once he starts establishing that and can maintain the velocity because of the conditioning the slider will be better and he can mix in some change-ups and he'll come back and he'll be the Alec Bono that we all love to watch
0: all right, got to ask you before I let you go here. I know that you have credited your dad with helping fix your swing in the, in the past when it was off. Um, we saw Kevin Gosman's daughter throw out the first pitch yesterday. What do you think she needs to work on on the splitter there? And can Gosman help her out with that the way your dad helped you?
4: Uh Yeah, look, I, I, it, there's no better person to, to help you out than a father. And that, that's, that's, you know, and a, and a parent as a whole. I know my mother would drive me to all kinds of games. You know, I played five sports. So it was, you know, parents running all over the place trying to get me to where I, where I was trying to go and and you know trying to make me as happy and as athletic as possible but absolutely what what better person to to teach somebody a pitch that nobody else can throw <laughs> as good as, as Kevin Gosman than than Kevin Gosman? so absolutely it's just nice to see families out to the to watching baseball and being a part of baseball and that's what it's all about right I mean it's a more fun game to watch I, I don't know about you but all the new rules and and you know the pitch timer and you know the just the The methodical part of baseball now when it's get it and go, I I love it. You know, I was on the fence about it because I thought there had to be some of those times, especially late in games when that dude's coming out into the game and it's tough to hit and the game's on the line. You need a little bit of time. I was wrong. I love it. So having more eyes to the TV set and having more fannies in the seats is a great thing. So absolutely, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it's
0: it's been a blast, and you know I, I've had family members or friends with kids say the same thing. It's a lot more you know family friendly a game if it's if it's two twenty or two and a half hours versus the ones that extend over three. Now playoff time, I'm not going to be arguing with long baseball games and dramatic pauses and stuff like that. But for right now, uh, it's been pretty cool. Kevin Barker, been pretty yep. cool to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely, thanks for having me. It's Kevin Barker of Blair and Barker on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You can check them out five to seven. Every weekday, uh, also on Sports at 360. And, of course, you can check out uh, their postgame breakdowns on Jays Talk, whether immediately after the game or in the same podcast feed as you get this show, Blue Jays Talk. Uh, and that Blair and Barker interview with Ross Atkins from yesterday, worth going back to their podcast feed uh, and checking out. Speaking of split Splitfingers. Keen Wynn is going to get his first major league start tonight. He's worked a little bit out of the bullpen for San Francisco in a bulk roll. I'd said, we'll, we'll team up a little bit. We've got a couple minutes left here. Uh, he is someone who throws his splitter at least so far at the major league level, 60% of the time. It's a lot of splitters. That's more than Kevin Gosman throws his splitter. Um, we'll see how that works. If he's trying to go a second time through the order, if the Jays are on top of it, um, you know, if the, We'll see if there's, a, if there's a good book on him or if 12 major league innings and some minor league time where he was a starter but wasn't nearly as effective. We'll see how that plays out. The splitter's been moderately effective for him. It allows contact, but not extra base contact. It is a tremendous ground ball pitch uh, for win, not just this year at the major league level, but when you start to go through some of the AAA numbers, he'll, he'll complement that uh, with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball so some pretty good heat to that one um he works that primarily up in the zone the splitter the one issue with the splitter you might see is the getting it down below the zone is the issue for him it's more he uses it almost more like um like a lot of pitchers use a cutter where it's kind of in on the hands uh, against the righty so we'll see how We'll see how that plays out. Um, he also has a sinker that he'll throw just to righties. That's, again, aimed at getting ground balls and things like that. In fact, uh, it's a small, small, small sample. He's only thrown 21 of them so far in his major league career, but no one's got a hit off one yet. So we'll see uh, if the Jays can sit sinker, sit splitter against him, or if they just wait for the fastball up and try to drive something with that. We know some guys on this team do well with that and are comfortable waiting for the heat high in the zone and trying to push a pitcher up further in the zone like that. Um, But some guys are going to try to instead jump on the stuff a little lower in the zone um, because there are a couple guys in the Jays lineup who don't handle the high heat particularly well right now. It's Chris Bassett on the mound for the Blue Jays on the other side. He of course has had uh, three rough ones in a row, gave up eight over three innings, gave up five, only three of them earned, over three and two thirds. And then last time out, gave up four over five innings in a loss against Oakland. That has led Chris Bassett to decide, ah, I'm not going to call my own pitches for a little bit anymore. We're expecting that Alejandro Kirk will be activated off of the IL today. All of the updates yesterday were positive ones. Um, he had run the bases. He had done some catching. He'd been doing a lot of catching as he went along anyway, just to kind of stay in, you know, game ready shape up downs and throwing and things like that, because it caught him on the catching hand, not on the, the throwing hand. So he's been able to stay up with that. We expect him to be activated today and to probably catch Chris Bassett since Jansen's caught an awful lot lately, a couple other minor updates. And I know we didn't get to all the text in the text line. I apologize for that, but there were a couple updates from yesterday in addition to Alejandro Kirk. Kevin Kiermaier has missed the last couple of games with back spasms. That's not ex- believed to be too serious, and it's apparently not related to when he missed a couple of games earlier on uh, in the season with back and hip stuff. I believe that was the Minnesota series. Um, either way, uh, his availability yesterday was kind of TBD. That's why Ernie Clement pinch ran instead of Kevin Kiermaier earlier in this series. I think the hope is that, that Kiermaier will be able to go today. Zach Pop was supposed to throw a rehab appearance yesterday for Buffalo. Uh, that game got canceled due to field conditions went the old, uh, the whole uh, bull Durham uh, route. Uh, I don't know if someone turned the sprinklers on or what we mentioned it a little earlier as well. uh, Ricky Tiedemann, um, when JD and I were kicking it around, he is throwing live batting practice in the coming days. He's been out since May 4th, so the Blue Jays top pitching prospect. Uh, we might start to see in some action again soon. The other big one when it comes to Jay's prospects is, is Ross Atkins said yesterday that at Zulueta, 25 year old who's at AAA right now, he's going to pitch in the Futures game uh, at All Star Weekend. The team is now looking at him as a reliever long term. He's transitioned to the bullpen with Buffalo. The numbers have been better from an ERA perspective, and he's got good. Swing and miss stuff. Whatever the role, the issue for Zulueta is going to be the walks. Um, it's not something that's slowed down, really. But if you were wondering what Yosfer Zulueta's future role with this team looks like, that is now firmly a relief pitcher. Didn't rule out him starting again in the future, but how many guys had to transition to a reliever at AAA and then ended up starting at the major league level? I'd imagine the list is pretty short. Connor Cook, another name to uh, keep an eye on monster strikeout rates uh, at double a after coming up from high a, and it's not necessarily a given. He'd have to do triple a on the way. If the major league bullpen needed help at some point, Chris Bassett, Keaton win tonight at seven o'clock. I'll be on the call with Ben Wagner. Jay's talk plus will be back 10 a.m. tomorrow as it always is. If you need more on this Jay's game, Blair and Barker have you pregame five to seven. They also have Jay's talk for you. After the game, uh, I'm going to save. There were a lot of good texts in the text line today. If I didn't get to yours, I apologize. I'm going to save them in my little planning doc. Maybe we'll sprinkle some more in tomorrow for a little Friday mailbag. Keaton Wynn, splitter, fastball, sinker. Can the Jays get to him the way they got to Logan Webb yesterday? It's a lesser pitcher, but you've never seen him before. We'll see. JSOC Plus, back tomorrow on the Sportsnet Radio Network at at
1: 360.